was spend time and really deal with the issues of life. Because it's all right having theories, but the reality is when you're on the front line and you're having to deal with situations, it, as I have in, in Nigeria and in Ghana and places you go and you're dealing with uh, situations, it isn't what people make it out to be. Um, I've preached in Kaduna and hold campaigns there with uh, Benson Hoser and we, we've been to places uh, in Ibadan where Muslims have come and you've got to deal with the situation in reality. And in Britain, people have buried their head in the sand and they think everything's okay. And so we want to really look at the political, the economic, the social influences. I want to just set the scene. Um, Tom's going to talk about the theological base because as is Dean of theology, Graduate Theology, and um, I was there doing my Doctor of Ministry uh, with Richard Roberts and others, and uh, I believe in education. And one of the things we're here to do is just to bring some reality, because lots of people just don't know what's going on. And so let me set the European scene. I feel that we've got to set the scene. So each one of you, you know better than I do that when you get out there and you start talking to people, they always turn around and there's the politically correct answer. That, well, we all believe in one God. Hey, I want to tell you, Allah is not the God, the Father of Jesus Christ. Let's get it straight from the start. Now let's talk about Islam in the European history. Years ago, there was a man who stood up and he said, well, we need a strategy for winning the world to Christ. And he birthed a new strategy. It was called strategic level spiritual warfare. Um, but this man, he, he had this idea that there was a new strategy. Unfortunately for him, they were going to bind the demons over cities and over nations, and they were going to release the power of God. Great, great people, these. Uh, tremendous vision. Anyway, the only trouble is, in 1901, a man called Sanford bought a fleet of ships to sail around the seven continents to bind the spirits over the nations and release them and claimed in 1904 that they'd succeeded in doing it. So he only took something that has been an error for years. In fact, Tertullian had the same problem, if you know Tertullian from church history, and actually Luther and Calvin had the same problem. Wesley had the same problem. It's amazing how error comes round every so often and is recycled. And when you know what it's all about, it's shocking. So I want to run through. The first period in history of Islam was in the 7th century. The Muslims' rule in Sicily and southern Italy ended in the 7th century. Uh, Islamic Spain ended in 1492. You need to realize that Europe was dominated by Islamic um, invasions. And the second period, the spread of the Mongol armies during the 13th century spread to Finland, Poland, and the Ukraine. Uh, and that's why you had 
um, wars all over Europe. The third period with the Ottoman expansion into the Balkans and Central Europe. It spread to Bulgaria, Yugoslavia, Romania, Greece, Albania, Bosnia. And you remember the Bosnian Wars and the Christians and the Muslims fighting. The fourth period was the establishment of Muslim communities in Western Europe. And that is where we are today. Over the last half of the 20th century, we're increasing numbers of Muslims have immigrated into our lands. The majority came seeking work, Allah sought political asylum. Until 1980s, Islam was characterized by poor organization, little money, and lack of confidence. You know, when the Muslims first came to this nation, uh, they hadn't got the money, the financial backing. What of the future? Well, if we don't alert ourselves to what's going on and alert other people to what's going on, I tell you, good men doing nothing allow people like Hitler to arise. Good men doing nothing allow an Idi Amin. Good men doing nothing allow these tyrannical people to survive. Do I believe in apartheid? Of course not. I hate it. But what I don't believe in is tyranny, tribal tyranny. Uh, and if any of you know Africa, you'll know that it becomes tribal. It doesn't become political and democratic. It becomes tribal, and that's wrong. And racism's not a black and white thing. We need to grow up and realize, now we're out of every race, kindred, tribe. Praise God, when we become Christians, we lose our nationalism, we lose our race, and we become one people in God. Amen? You know, we need a... Black people need to get the chip off their shoulder. White people need to get the chip off their shoulder. Hey, we're one in Christ. And we fight for the living God and for the word of truth and for Jesus Christ to lift him up because we believe in one gospel. And it's time um, we stop. I, I hate going to a place where it's a black church in London. And when I get there, there's only black faces. If you've been sent to preach the gospel, preach to every nation, every kindred, and make sure that your church service is suitable for everyone. We've got to reach everyone. Amen? With words easy to be understood. When one million Muslims had entered the UK, an announcement was made regarding an Islamic parliament. How many of you remember that? Do you know, they actually are passing laws that every Muslim is expected to obey in this nation. They've already set up their own parliament. And they're passing these laws and they're obligatory upon every Muslim. Dr. Siddiqui writes, with a population of more than one billion and infinite sources of wealth, you can defeat all the powers. Now, he's one of the main spokesmen for the Muslims. He writes loads of books and he teaches. Dr. Zaki Badawi, former director of Islamic Cultural Center, London. Islam intends to expand in Britain. Islam is a universal religion. It hopes that one day the whole of humanity will be one Muslim community. Now, here they're, they're, they're stating their aims. Would to God 
that Christians had enough within them to realize we have a more powerful gospel, a more powerful word that can conquer everything, and we have a God who's almighty, and we need to be out on the streets. They go out on the streets. You go into London, you go into Wembley, you go into Islington. They're out on the streets every day. Would to God Christians would get out there and do something. And we need to wake up. We've got a gospel. We've got redemption. We've got power. We've got authority. I like what T.L. Osborne said. There's two prayers God will never answer. And these are 98% of Christian prayer. Two prayers he'll never answer. Number one, God will never do what he's already done. The second prayer God will never answer is God will never do what he told you to do. He told us to go preach, teach, heal. That was the command of God. Not to preach and teach, but to preach, teach and heal. Jesus Christ, wherever he is, there's miracles. No miracles, no Jesus. Amen? You know, we have authority in God. Uh, if we don't rise up and Christians don't become politically aware and Christians don't wake up to the need to get out there, I'll tell you what will happen. We're going to be in trouble. Thank God we had a Benson Ederhoser in Nigeria who changed the nation round. It just needs one man, Wesley, John Wesley, and Charles Wesley was the beautiful hymn writer. Uh, Whitfield was the great evangelist and moved in the power of the Spirit. Wesley organized things, but he was very legalistic. Anyway, we, Wesley said, give me ten men and we can change a nation. Whitfield was one man. He changed the nation. He went out there and then he went over to New England because the Wesleys drove him out. It was tremendous. Uh, Whitfield went there and he used to preach six hours at a time. And the power of God would fall. People would get healed. People would get delivered. Tremendous gift of God. And he was driven from our shores. What a tragedy. We need a Whitfield back. They said 20,000 people could hear his voice on a fine day and he had no amplification spoke but he spoke the word of God and we have the word of God we have redemption we have the story of Jesus Christ we have a God who's alive not a man who's dead our God is a living God amen we have something that's real I want the freedom to get up and preach the gospel anywhere Thank God for Oral Roberts University that there's a Christian liberal arts university which preaches a full gospel. Thank God for the fact that Christians are waking up. We need our PhDs. We need our people with enough knowledge to get into these universities and change things round. We need to be in every place, every man's world, and we need the gospel of Jesus Christ to change things. Amen? I'm anti all this hatred, racial hatred and, uh, you know, tyranny that's going on. And we need to wake up and say, we don't want a nation like that. We want a nation of people who believe in the true and living God, 
We're a Christian nation. We want to preach Christ. Amen. We want to lift up our voice and be heard. And we want to say to people, we're not prepared to put up with it. I believe that we're one in Christ and that we have a wonderful gospel and that we have hope to give to the world. And we can say to people, there is a God who loves you, a God who will heal you, a God who will deliver you. We have a God of love, a God of grace. We have a God who's risen from the dead. His name is Jesus. He's alive. We have a living God. And we need to proclaim it. Anti-Semitism has been a part of European society since time immemorial, except in the aftermath of the Holocaust. Once again, Europe is reverting to type. To be sure, some Europeans are shocked. But the more common reaction is complacency, a grievous mistake. Violence aimed today at Jews, tomorrow will be aimed at Christians. And and don't think, you know, it won't happen. It's already happening. We've got the Global Gospel Fellowship. Why? Why? Because I believe going around the world and alerting Christians everywhere. Thank God for our brethren in in Nigeria. Thank God for our brethren in Congo. Thank God for our brethren in Uganda, Kenya, uh, Ghana. Hey, we're alive to what's going on. And we aren't going to give in. We're going to be a voice. We need... Someone to stand up and say, this is wrong. I believe it's a Christian foundation in our laws, enshrined, and they've been stripping our nation of its Christian heritage. And we want it back. We want our nation back. We as Christians have a right to stand up and say, our nation is a Christian nation, and we have Christian principles. We do not believe in destruction of family life. We are proud of our heritage. We belong to a living God. And we are going to stand for him. That's what we should be saying. So I just wanted to put a European perspective. He intended us to stand tall. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I, I, I believe in the power of God. I want to encourage you all, don't don't ever take defeat. Jesus Christ has given us the victory. Don't ever get negative, be positive. Don't ever fear. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Don't ever back down. We have God behind us. We have God within us. We have God on our side. And we can be more than conquerors through Christ who strengthens us. Don't let us be the people that apologize. Let us be the people that stand. My God is real. It says in my Bible that everything's been put under Jesus' feet. And in that he put everything under his feet, he left nothing that was not put under his feet. We don't see it yet. All of it yet. But I'm telling you, the day is coming. And not only that, I believe it's here for us because Jesus is alive. King of kings, Lord of lords.
Amen. Well, um, we've got an exciting time. Dr. Matthew is, is here from R. Roberts University. As I said, he's the Dean of Graduate Theology. Um, Tom's going to talk about um, the difference in the theology. Uh, and it's great to have Ram Gidemal uh, uh, with us. And, and he's going to talk in a little while about the plans and what they're doing because he wants to be a voice. He was a Hindu and God gloriously saved him. It's so important that we Christians communicate. Uh, one of the lacks has been communication lack uh, and we need to let everyone know what's going on. God is good. Tom, the floor is yours. Give him a big hand. Introduce yourself. We all okay. Thanks. Thank you and good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. Let me begin with a brief testimony of my own life and the place where I minister, the All Roberts University. I'm a preacher's kid from India who left India about 30 years ago, went to USA in 1972. My Grandfather was a pioneer Pentecostal preacher in India. Before that, my family uh, had Orthodox priests leading the churches called St. Thomas Churches in India. My grandfather was filled with the spirit, and he was kicked out of the church, as the custom was in those days, and he began to preach uh, to his 80s and went to be with the Lord. My father preached into his 70s and went to be with the Lord. I wanted to be a physicist for the government of India because when I was a young man, they were encouraging young people to study science so India can make the atom bomb. As you can imagine, they blasted the thing without me. And <laughs> because... <laughs> because God called me into something more exciting than atomic bombs. I went to Yale University, Divinity School, studied theology there, and I was pastoring a church in New Haven, Connecticut. Um, and the Lord was moving in New England. So I go from uh, India to New England, and I find myself in England. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, passing that church when the opportunity came for me to go to Oral Roberts University where they had built a 60-story building, the tallest building in the state of Oklahoma, built by a man of God, an evangelist who could not be ignored. And uh, in fact, a colleague of mine is here uh, uh, assisting with the Penile College Dr. Roy Hayden, who has been a part of that university for, for many years. And uh, God is using that place as a global training ground for preachers, teachers, ministers. And we have majors in about 60 areas in the undergraduate program. It is truly a global place. I went there as a chaplain first 
praying for sick people. I had the opportunity to uh, go from room to room and pray for patients with uh, our chancellor, Oral Roberts. At that time, he was president. Later, I got into teaching and eventually got into administration and teaching, and now I am the dean of the School of Theology and Missions, which is the graduate school. We offer the Master of Arts degree, the Master of Divinity, and the Doctor of Ministry. Doctor of Ministry is the highest professional doctorate in the field of theology. But what makes us unique is not just the quality, it is the spirit. We are not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. And we allow the Holy Spirit to move in our classroom. Our teachers are PhDs from the most prestigious schools in the world. We have our teachers with their doctorates from major schools of the world, but they are all filled with the Holy Spirit. They are able to lead someone to Jesus Christ. They are able to pray for the sick and see results. That's the kind of place ORU School of Theology and Mission sees. Okay, so I'm pleased to be here with uh, Bishop Reed and all of you. Our topic today, you just heard from uh, Bishop Reed giving you a global perspective and a national perspective on the issue of Islam. I want to get into the theological part of it. My intention is to share with you uh, an understanding of this faith. Sometimes Christian people, e those, even those who speak against uh, Islam, don't have an understanding of the difference. Let me say this to you. Some Christians are now saying there is no difference. There is no difference. We all worship the same God. In fact, you know, saying that is an insult both to Islam and Christianity. Just to say there is no difference is an insult. Because if you respect somebody, you need to see the difference and, 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 and declare the difference. And in terms of reaching out to them, we need to have an understanding of where they are and what they practice. Listen, we are gathered here because we love these people. We love them because God loves them. And we want them to meet the Savior, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are motivated by concern for their eternal destiny. That's what we have in common because God so loved the world that he gave his son. And we were so fortunate to be found so that our lives have been transformed by the power of the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. And we are motivated by that power to bring a difference in these people's lives. Look at the statistics. Uh, by the way, Islam means submission. In fact, total surrender to Allah. They are doing the things they do because they feel completely surrendered to the call of Allah and their life. And they are doing certain things that they hope to please Allah by. And we will see some of those things in details later. And also another misunderstanding. Sometimes we think all Muslim people are in the Middle East. Where Islam is prevailing you have absolutely no freedom in terms of your faith. Only 200 million Muslims uh, live in the Middle East, and that's equal to another country. So there are b a billion people who claim to be Islamic. They are in the five blocks of the nations in the world, and I'll just list them, the areas where they are in the next slide. There is the Arabic, the Indo-Persian, the Turkish, the Malay, and the African. So there are five major 
regions of the world where Islam has been flourishing and growing. Islam is the second largest religion in Europe now. It will soon surpass Judaism to be the second largest religion in North America. You may not have known this. There are more Muslims than Methodists in your country. John Wesley's homeland. There are more Muslims than Episcopalians and Presbyterians combined in the United States now. United Nations declare that 30% of the world population will be Muslim by 2025. That means one in every three persons you run into will be worshipping Allah, will be an Islamic person. Due to massive immigration and conversions, today there are 7 million Muslims and 13,000 mosques in North America, where my home is now. What do the Islamic people believe? What do they believe? There are five pillars of Islam, or basic tenets. One, the confession they make daily, five times. The confession is, there is only one God, Allah, and his prophet, Muhammad. They say it five times a day. They have to kneel down, prostrate, and say at dawn, at noon, at mid-afternoon, after sunset, and near midnight. The first thing they have to do is to confess. Basically what they are saying, La ilaha illallah Allah, what that means is, I bear witness and testify that there is no God but Allah. And Muhammad is the messenger of God. That is what they are declaring. Secondly, the bowing down the five times. So the first, the confession. Secondly, bowing down. Third, the giving, what they call poor tax. A Muslim is supposed to give at least 2.5% of his income to the poor. And the fourth practice required of a Muslim is the fast, especially during the month of Ramadan, where they believe that is during the month in which the angel began to recite and give Quran to Muhammad. That's the ninth month. And this is an annual fast, and it takes place during that month, because Gabriel, first, they believe that, uh, first began to reveal Quran to Muhammad. And finally, the Hajj, or the pilgrimage, going to Mecca for an experience of total cleansing of their sins. Now, we need to understand what they believe and what they are practicing and the thoughts behind the practice. So these five practices are required of all Muslims, regardless of the place where they live. So that's why they are in Washington, D.C., middle of the day. They are not ashamed to bow down and start doing what they do, what is expected of them, required of them. They recognize Adam, Abraham, Moses, David, and even Jesus as forerunners of Muhammad, that they, they came before Muhammad, they are only prophets and messengers. 
And Jesus also is in that category according to Islamic faith. He was a prophet, just like Muhammad. In fact, Muhammad came as of, at a higher level of respect and honor than even Jesus himself. Because if Jesus was the final messenger, we would not need a Muhammad. The fact that he had to come means that Jesus' work was not sufficient, even in declaring uh, the message of God according to Islam. They also recognize the five books of Moses, the Psalms, and even the Gospels, except, we'll talk about this in detail in a little, little later, except they believe as the books as we have now are corrupted and are not reliable, see? So, see, this is what people don't realize when they say, they have the same God, and they believe in our Bible, yes, they acknowledge, recognize the Old Testament and the Gospels, but they believe that the Jewish people and the Christians have corrupted these books. Therefore, now they are no longer reliable. Or their reliability is severely damaged. So what is Muslim theology? What does it require? First of all, God. They say there is only one God. What kind of God is that? will be a focus of our discussion in a few minutes. The basic question is, as the bishop said, is the God of Muhammad the same as the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ? It is true that they believe in one God. They are monotheistic in that sense. But when you look at the nature and character of that God, you are talking about a totally different person. And I will demonstrate that to you as we go forward. So God, only one God. They believe in angels, God's unseen messengers. In fact, we all have these guardian angels keeping track of good things and bad things. And one day we'll be judged. And to get to the judgment, you have to go through a lot. In fact, you have to walk on on a sharp edge to just just as 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 sharp as a knife to walk on it to get to the other side most people cannot make it just by reading the description of it is frightening enough and the books the scriptures revealed through all the prophets in the past and i said as i said they believe much of our books have been corrupted by jews and christians number 4 they believe in the apostles that in some way they are synonymous with the prophets Messengers of God, people who bring word from God. They believe in the last day, the day of judgment, and the decree, which is God's predestination of all things. Let's back up a little bit and say again, only one God. This is contained in the daily confession. Also, there are 99 most beautiful names for God. In fact, some of those names we can agree with. Again, when you realize you are not dealing with the Father of Jesus, the loving Heavenly Father, that's missing. That whole concept is missing. There are beautiful descriptions of God that any religion can take from it. If you are talking about the true and living God, the creator of heaven and earth, and the sustainer of the world, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the God of the Trinity that we declare and believe and confess is not in their book. It's not in their teachings. The scriptures 
They believe that the scriptures revealed through all the prophets in the past, many have been lost. They believe some of the scriptures have been lost, and they recognize the books of Moses, the Psalms, and the Gospels inspired by God in addition to Quran. But the Quran sur surpasses Hebrew and Christian scriptures as God's final word through the last of his prophets. So Quran is held at a higher level than all other scriptures because they believe Hebrew and Christian scriptures have been corrupted and are no longer reliable. They believe in the apostles, they believe in the last day, they believe in the decree. But here is some confusion that comes in when we claim there are some common things. I put the word common in quotation because this is what the politicians are using, this information. In the, the, I put the thing common because they lead you to believe that there is no difference therefore. That's not the truth. That is not the truth. Number one, they're both historical religions. We know that Christianity, and we know when Jesus was born. We know the time of his life and death and resurrection. We know the church fathers. We know when the Reformation was, so there are historical facts about Christianity. Similarly, we know when Muhammad was born. We know uh, how he lived. We know how many wives he had. He, he broke his own rule about the number of wives. Because he claimed that he had special dispensation to have more wives than every other guy. That's what he said. Okay? So, but we do know the, the wives and the dates and the death and all those things. In that sense, they are both historical religions. They're not imaginary. There is no circle of we, the wheel of time like some other religion. It's a linear historical religion. That's common. Okay. Secondly, they're book-based faith. We have the Word of God. The Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament, they have the Quran, and they acknowledge the other books, but do not give them the power that Quran has. And in that sense, they are, they are people of their book-based faith, but it's very misleading when you put it that way. Because we, can, we are all the same faith. Look, we are all based on a book. Not the same book. It's not seen the same way. Number three, they are monotheistic religions. They both declare there is only one God, and we'll take some time to look at our God before this session is over. This God of the Islamic faith, for instance, he doesn't love everybody. And the Quran is very clear. If I had time, I could show you parallel passages. This morning would not allow us. I may even leave a handout behind so for you to look at. The, the, the biblical passage and the passage from Quran, the 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 God of Islam, Allah, does love some people. He does not love everyone. But here is the theological difference. Loving is what Allah does sometimes. Love is not the essence of Allah. But the Father of Jesus, the God we worship, that God is love. That's the difference. That's the difference. So God is love. He so loved us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
God loved us. God doesn't say, you all go get shaped up, then I love you. Basically, that's what Quran does. Why don't you all shape up? He'll love you. Which is a totally different gospel. We are being told, while we, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God says, come to me, I will transform you and change you. God's love is inviting us to be transformed. While we are sinners, that's the power of the gospel, the mystery of the gospel, the secret of the gospel. And it is not the same as what the Quran is saying. God is love and he loves us. And through his love, he transforms us. There was a past and there is a present for us. And we are new creatures, creation in Christ Jesus now. The power of the gospel. The missionary mandates. Both religions are missionary religions. But here is the difference. Jesus told us to go into all the world, teach all nations, make disciples of all nations, teaching them. And we are to obey that. In that sense, we are a missionary faith. Islamic religion also is a missionary religion, except, let me compare again. Isaiah 49, be a light for Gentiles. That's what God told the Old Testament saints. And through them to us. Go and make disciples. Matthew 28. And the Muslim traders and soldiers spread their religion. But the means are not the same. For example, the Quran, the early part of the Quran, when Muhammad received these matters, and he was not a person educated. He did not know how to write. So he was reciting them. And it came down through oral tradition. Other people wrote it down. In the earlier part of this religious development, there were some non-violent statements. But the longer it went, the statements became more violent. So what the politicians do is, and what the Islamic people do is to take some earlier statements and say, that's our faith. See, we are non-violent. But you read the whole thing toward the end, it is not non-violent. The missionary effort is not through love and reaching out. It is through force. You convert by force. For example, earlier he said, let there be no compulsion in religion. Quote, unquote. This is from the Quran. Let there be no compulsion in religion. They take that verse and say, listen, Quran said, let there be no compulsion. There will not be any forced conversion earlier. But when you read the book later on, you read the, the Quran saying, make war on them until idolatry shall cease. And idolatry is worshipping Jesus. Do you see the difference? So the politicians, they are trying to find consensus. We are supposed to speak the truth. That's where the problem is. We have to speak the truth in love. That's what the book said. So these folks need love, but they surely need truth. And they also need to see the power of the gospel. So the summary of all that we are saying today is, love them, tell them, show them. <laughs> That's it. Love them enough to tell them the truth. I think it's a disservice when we don't tell the truth. 
And then we have to show them the power of God by trusting in the name of Jesus and moving in the ministry that has signs and wonders and miracles. And that's what God has used Marilyn Hickey to do. If she were here, she would not go into a lot of theology. She knows the difference. She goes to Islamic countries. She, she tells them, I love you because God loves you. Then she prays for the sick, preaches the gospel, and ministers to people. People are healed, and they are saved by the masses. She has gone to Pakistan, which is not an easy place, where they have been killing Christians for a long time, neighbor to India. And, 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 and she ministers there, and we have seen the testimony of God healing people, performing miracles. What is her method? Well, love them, tell them, show them. And I hope you will adopt this method, message and method for London, for England, for UK, and for the world. Love them, tell them, show them. So the missionary mandate is different. This is where the word jihad comes. Jihad. That word really means literally to exert oneself. To exert oneself as in war. That really means use one's strength and might and soul in service of Allah. Use one's strength, might, and soul in service of Allah. In exerting with all might and power you have. For what purpose? Because you are to make war on them until idolatry shall cease. It sounds okay if you think idolatry is something somebody else does someplace else. They're talking about anyone who worships the Lord Jesus Christ included. And the Hebrew people are also part of this because they consider that they are also uh, corrupted people. And they need to come and worship Muhammad. And it shall be accomplished by force. And some of what you see on the television news has to do with this. The Islam does not differentiate between spiritual and temporal authority. It's not for Islam. See, what Christians do, Bishop Reed, is they compartmentalize. They come to church and get all spiritual, and then they go home and live their life in some other crazy way. Some Christians at least do. We have to live our faith. What we do Sunday is what we do Monday. There has to be an integration of our faith and life as lifestyle. We live the Christian life by faith every day in the power of the Holy Spirit. We should, but many of our people compartmentalize. Faith is contained in the church. Politics is contained in the polling booth. The family is contained in the family. We are compartmentalized. The Islamic people do not separate spiritual authority from temporal authority legal authority. To them, one and the other are the same. That's why they can't separate government from their faith. They cannot separate doing whatever they from their faith reason because they're all in one. They want to do it all in Allah's way. So when they get to be in charge of a nation, their faith controls everything about that nation. And anyone who does not agree with them is in huge trouble. There is no motion making, seconding the motion, and then all in favor say aye. It's all done. (laughs) (laughs) 
Now, in democracy, we are spoiled. It's the best form of government we have going, but we have to be smart Democrats. People who believe in democracy need to be smart people. That means you have to read, you have to know, you have to discuss and dialogue. You cannot go hide someplace and play spiritual cocoons and then come out once in a while and vote for somebody and go back in. You have to know, what am I voting for? What am I, these people are going to act on your behalf. You better share your convictions in these process, processes. All right, so historical religion, book-based faith, monotheistic religions, missionary mandate, then they are all what is called teleological or purpose-driven theology. That means they believe in an end-time some end time events, which is basically judgment. And if you read the book, most of the people will make it. Because <laughs> it, is, it is just, if you don't do it their way, there is no hope for anyone. And they have no worry talking about it. So what are the major differences theologically? Let me move on to the next si uh, slide and say, here are the three areas where the differences are drastic. Number one, theology, or the trinity issue. Number two, the incarnation issue. Number three, the salvation issue. In theological terms, fancy words, theology, Christology, and soteriology. Theology, some Christians, even pastors, believe me, brothers and sisters, I head up a school of theology, which is global outreaches. I get to meet students from 60 different nations who come to ORU or are connected with ORU in some way. Even now I run into pastors who think that theology is a dirty word. Theology is not a dirty word. Theology simply means study of God. The question is not whether you have a theology. Even the atheist has a theology. His theology has no God in it. The question is, do you have a good theology or a bad one? You need a good theology. A good theology begins with the study of Almighty God as revealed to us in Jesus Christ. As revealed to us in the Word of God. So our big difference is in the area of theology... The Trinity question, which they cannot relate to, they believe we are blaspheming. It's blasphemy to say that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Holy Spirit. They can't handle it. There is no room, there is no shelf to put it in the Islamic shelf. Okay? So the second issue is Christology. The concept of incarnation. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. Word was God and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. His name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Would you join me and clap your hand for the Lord Jesus for a moment this morning? Hallelujah! Glory to God! God! There is so much misunderstanding or miscommunication or, or, or distortion of the idea of the Trinity. For example, Quran says, unbelievers are those who say God is one of three. We don't have three gods. <laughs> in fact, the church, in the early part of the church history, do you know what all the councils were about this issue, settling the Trinity? The, the council in AD 325, 
was to settle the issue of the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit, particularly the Son issue. The Son was the, of the same essence as the Father, the church said. Later in the second council in 381, the issue came up again. In 431, the issue came up again. By 451, the issue was settled. That we became Trinitarian in the sense that we do have a Father God. We do have a Son who has proceeded from the Father. He was in the beginning. He was not created. So we came, the church said amen to the, Father, the God, one God who reveals himself to us in Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are Trinitarian people in that we believe God's word. Israel said, God is one. God is one. We said, next page, Jesus is Lord. And we also confess that the Holy Spirit is a personal reality. Holy Spirit is a personal reality. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, not three different people, but the living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who revealed himself to us through his only begotten Son who was in the beginning with him. And God, the Holy Spirit, who has come into our lives and transformed us and made us new creations in Jesus Christ. Islamic faith does not believe this. They make fun of Jesus as son of Mary in the sense, if anyone calls him Lord, anyone calls him Savior, they are offended by it because they believe only God, Allah, can save anyone. But Allah is a distant God. Allah is an alienated God. He is not involved. He has not become Emmanuel. And they advise us, in fact, people of the book, here is from the Quran, people of the book, do not transgress the bounds of your religion. Speak nothing but the truth about God. Believe in God and his apostles and do not say, three, God will not forgive idolatry. So they consider Trinitarian Christian faith as idolatry. And I read to you what they plan to do about people who are practicing idolatry. God is one. Deuteronomy 6.4 declaring, Hebrew people declare, God is one. John told us the word was God. In the beginning God, Genesis 1. In the beginning was Logos, John 1. The Son was there. Without Him nothing was made. The Spirit was there, Genesis 1-2. We are talking about God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Even from the beginning, we hear God speaking in divine plurals. One God speaking as if He's already revealing Himself, beginning in Genesis. Let us make man. Theologians call this divine plurals. Isaiah 6, who will go for 
us. See, this mystery has been revealed to us. This mystery has been revealed to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. What a mighty God we serve. How fortunate we are to know this God and to love Him. Let me move on. Let me move on and go forward. God is one. Jesus is Lord. The Holy Spirit is a personal reality. Muslim theology says, Quran says, Christians and Muslims have the same God. There's a big but. Because that confession rejects the fatherhood of God, rejects the deity of Jesus, rejects the personhood of the Holy Spirit. That's the difference. The character and nature of God. We'll move on because of time a little bit here. The father of Jesus versus God of Muhammad. Listen, God is one, but he is not alone. <laughs> That's a theological statement. God is one, but not alone. Love is not just something God does. He is love. In Quran, God's love is conditional. For example, Quran says in 1996, Surely for those who believe and do good deeds will Allah bring about love. In Quran, love is God's activity, not his essence. The character and nature of God. God is free, free to be gracious. God chose to love us. God's grace is extended to us. And God is a personal God as he revealed himself in G Jesus Christ. Relationality and personality is at the heart of the universe. God, a personal God, a relational God who reveals himself in Jesus Christ. God is love, John said to us. Love extends and relates. God has to relate to us by the nature of himself. The Allah God stands away from man. He has not become flesh and dwelt among us. And when you look at Christology and the concern of sin issue, it will become a little more clear. Let me move forward. Christology. God is sovereign enough to send his word through the prophets as well as to come himself in the person of his son. That's our faith. There is no son. There is no son in the Islamic faith. Let me read to you what John Paul, the Pope said, John, Pope John Paul II, just a moment, look at those words. He said, whoever knows the Old and New Testaments and then reads the Quran, clearly sees the process by which it completely reduces divine revelation. They are forcing us to go back to a time before Jesus. In fact, way back when we did not know God. It is impossible not to note the movement away from what God said about himself. First in the Old Testament through the prophets. And then finally in the New Testament through his son. In Islam, all the richness of God's self-revelation which constitutes the heritage of the Old and New Testaments, has definitely been set aside. Let me read a few more words from the Pope. Next slide. Some of the most beautiful names in the human language are given to the God of the Quran, but 
He is ultimately a God outside of the world. A God who is only majesty, never Emmanuel, God with us. Islam is not a religion of redemption. There is no room for the cross and the resurrection. Jesus is mentioned but only as a prophet who prepares for the last prophet Muhammad. There is also mention of Mary, his virgin mother, but the tragedy of redemption, the cross, the suffering of Jesus is completely absent. For this reason, not only the theology, but also the anthropology of Islam is very distant from Christianity. It's a true statement. It's a profound truth. Move on to the next one, what the Quran teaches about Jesus. This is what he said, God forbid that he himself should beget a son. I mean, how much is this thing, one God? Do you understand? I'm not making it up. I'm just giving you a synopsis of what's in the book. And it's true, we are people of the book. The book is not saying the same thing. God forbid that he himself should beget a son. Isn't that the end of the discussion? Praise be to God who has never begotten a son. This is Quran. Who has no partner in his kingdom. When we know that God came down, heaven came down, and glory filled our hearts. Jesus Christ is Lord, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. We cannot forsake him. We cannot abandon him. We cannot deny him. For he is. For God is. Those who come to him must believe that he is. And he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Moving forward. So when they talk about Jesus, there is no sermon on the mount in the Quran. There is no parable of the lost son. In the Quran, there is no discourse on new birth. How much is the same God? How much is the same theology? We are all same. We worship the same God. Let's all, you know, get along. <laughs> yeah, this is not about attacking them or, or, or being mean about this, but understanding the difference. And I hope this will give you such a profound burden for these people. The desperate need for them to know Jesus, God's Son. And to experience God's love and be transformed by God's power. No sun, no cross, no resurrection. Moving on to soteriology, study of salvation. We know we are saved by God's grace. Because Jesus paid the price for our redemption on the cross of Calvary. We are saved by faith in Jesus. And the Islamic person is saved through the five things they have to do. And the six things they have to believe. All of it based on their effort. They have to work very hard. They have to work very hard. There can be no Christianity without the cross. And there can be no Islam with it. Moving on. The cross is the only thing Christians can boast about. Boasting in the cross. Muslims believe someone else died on Good Friday. They say we distorted the Bible and they, they, I, I read it. It says it appears like Jesus died. They just cannot accept the fact that Jesus died for us. And our salvation depends on our faith that Jesus, God's provision, God's son died in our place so that we are free and free indeed forevermore. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
According to Quran, Jesus only appeared to die. Now, let me speakly, briefly speak about the sin issue before we conclude in just a few moments. The sin issue in Islam, sin is forgetfulness, heedlessness, failure to remember. So the God keeps sending these prophets to remind us. Listen, to them salvation is remembering what Allah said and doing it. He had said 124,000 prophets to remind these people. Humans mostly need divine guidance, the perfect distillation of which is in the Quran. In other words, you just remember to do the Quran, you'll be okay. That's what they believe. Moving to the next slide, the sin issue in Islam itself. Salvation is not by faith alone. Islam is rule-keeping as religion, according to David Johnson. Human beings are fully capable of determining their destiny by their own exertion, jihad, discipline and devotion. Progress toward paradise is made only by personal strenuous effort. And we sit here, freely we have received. Would you lift up your hands and thank him today? Freely we have received. Freely we have received. We ought to give freely. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Progress toward paradise is made by their personal strenuous effort. But for us, somebody paid the price. Moving on, the sin issue at the end of the journey is the balance. Your life is weighed. Balance weighs good and bad deeds. And there's an angel sitting here checking out good and bad. And he's going to testify against you. And the, and the balance has to show that you do merit going there by your own effort. Then there is a bridge you have to cross. If the, the Quran says that bridge is finer than hair and sharper than a sword. Try to make that one alone. There is, in other words, there is no assurance of salvation. But here is the contradiction. Let me just point out. I will two, three more slides. Let me just point out. Here is the contradiction. Quran itself says the following about sin in the next page. The Quran says we are sinful. We are foolish. We are ungrateful. We are weak. We are boastful. We are gruesome. We are rebellious. Quran itself says that, but the only answer is guidance. To remind us to do what is in the book, instead of telling us we are sinners. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's the truth. In some way, Quran says we need more than guidance. But Quran doesn't give you the answer to our sin problem. But we know something. The wages of sin is death, but, but, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Praise Him again this morning. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Hallelujah. But all the Quran offers is reminders, guidance to keep Islamic law, and advice to follow the five pillars. The truth is we are sinners. The holiness of God requires atonement. Jesus fulfilled this requirement. Forgiveness means restoration of relationships with God, with each other, and with ourselves. Assurance of salvation is possible because Jesus Christ is Lord. Salvation is available in Jesus because of his uniqueness. And the question boils down to, who is this? Who is this? Jesus. Let me tell you this morning, he is the King of Kings. You know, you've heard it now from uh, a theological point of view. You've heard the differences, uh, and we've looked at 
uh, reviewed the European point of view and where we're at perspectives. I, li I like, um, I just quoted last night in, in the meeting, uh, Mark Twain said that if, if um, the basis of Christianity and salvation were affection, love, kindness, your dog would get to heaven and you wouldn't. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's not biblical. Um, it's Mark Twain. Don't look in your Bible in the index to see where Mark Twain is. <laughs> you won't find him. Uh, it, it's good to have Ram Gidimal. I wanted to bring a different perspective. One that um, Dr. Matthew made plain. You can't set aside parts of your life and say, well, this is my Christian part, this is my worship part. Uh, we have to be whole people. But we can't also ignore the fact that we live in a world, we're not of the world, we're in it. We're in it to be salt and light. We go into every man's world that we might be a testimony. We don't go away from the world, we go into it and we change it because we have the power of the living God within uh, and we're his representative and uh, I'm, I'm really grateful to Ram because he's made a stand. Let's welcome him. Ram. Thank you so much, Bishop. I really, really appreciate this opportunity, and uh, I'm grateful to the Lord Jesus for the doors he opens, and I'm grateful that for the moment when we met, introduced by a lady in this church, I was just standing there, she said, talk to Bishop Reed. He was standing there, and I just went up to him, and they couldn't put us apart. <laughs> we just talked and chatted, and the rest I know is, Revelation TV opened up, and the rest I know is, I'm here with you this morning, and I'm just grateful to the Lord Jesus for that. Just a few words about myself to give you the context for the journey and how it fits in with the whole issue of Islam that we are discussing, because this could not be more relevant today than at any time. It is relevant. It is real. It is serious. The issues that face you and me as believers here in Britain and as citizens on this planet of God's kingdom. You know, I was brought up in a Hindu home. It was in South Asia before India was partitioned. My family were Hindus on the Muslim side of the border, and we had to flee. My grandfather had 21, they were a big family, 21 brothers and sisters, 18 were massacred. Three ran. We made it to East Africa. 20 years ago, again in East Africa, there were problems, political problems, Overnight, we had to leave. We arrived in London, 15 of us. Four, we, we did the only thing we know what to do. Now, I know that there is a Mr. Patel here, and I know that there are other Asians here, and they will take this in the way it's meant to be taken. We started a corner shop, and people said, are you Mr. Patel? No, we're not. I'm not Mr. Patel. I used to have to say, no, we are all part of a community that had to survive and start businesses and work. You know, our parents said to us, you don't take anything that you don't earn. So we never took anything from the state. We worked day and night. One shop became two, became three, became six. But one bit of my journey in Africa I want to share with you. When we moved to Africa, my father died in tragic circumstances. He couldn't cope with the move. And I think, I suspect, because of the Hindu belief in reincarnation, 
He might have thought, I'll come back again. Maybe, I don't know. My uncle brought me up as a Sikh. So now I'm being brought up by Hindu, by Hindu relatives as a Hindu and also as a Sikh. And the only good school in the area that they could find was a Muslim school, so I was sent to a Muslim school. So I had Islam, I had Sikhism, I had Hinduism, I had all the isms coming out of my ears. But it was here in Britain, here in Britain, that somebody introduced me to Jesus. You'll be surprised where it was. I found my way to a pub. I was drinking. I was just... I was a student at Imperial College. I was fed up. I left home. I was lonely. I just didn't know who to turn to. And this man said, well, there was a group of people singing in the corner, and they were singing a song, Put Your Hands in the Hands of the Man from Galilee. And you know, until that time, I thought about Jesus as somebody who was a colonial god. You know, it was the British people's god. It was the white man's god. I even had a picture of him, blue-eyed, blonde, pinstripe suit, bowler hat from the city of London. But it was only here in Britain. I heard that song, put your hands in the hands of them. I said, hey, that man from Galilee is from the Middle East. That culture I can identify with. Let me find out. So they gave me a little form. We want a further discussion. I canceled discussion. I said, I want an argument. I said, come and see me. But you know, brothers and sisters, I did argue with this man, but he left me with the Bible. And when he left me, because I, I out-argued him. Look, I come from all those spiritual perspectives. I was reading physics at Imperial College in London. I had three A-levels. I was on track, theoretical physics. I could out-argue anybody. But when I get through this book, I tell you, I was just gripped. I was fascinated by Jesus. Jesus just turned my life, not upside down, the right way up. <laughs> the right way up because I came to Revelation 3.20 behold I stand at the door and knock if anyone opened the door I will come in and eat with him and he with me I said the God of the universe eating with me I, it just was too much to take in but I got on my knees and I opened my heart I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior and I have never never looked back never never But I want to share with you two journeys. One is my spiritual journey and the problems I faced because it is important. We are talking about Islam. We are talking about loving people to share the gospel with them. And I want to share with you some of my journey. So hopefully it will help you reach out to the Asians. You know, what does, what does Matthew 28, 19 say? Go into all the world and make disciples of all Asians. No, nations it says, sorry, nations. But you know... Hey, we've got to reach the world for Christ and Asians are part of that world. And we've got to reach them for Christ too. But how? How was I reached? Yes, somebody loved me. But you know, from that day, people say, you lived happily ever after. In one sense, spiritually, yes. But I've, I did face issues and challenges. I, I, I would be dishonoring God and say, not, not, not being honest with you if I didn't share with you some of the pain and the problems. But I share it with the view to hopefully pray that God will help us to do our sharing of the good news in a way that will really be effective. You see, the man left me with the Bible, but he left me with a warning. He said, Ram, I'm leaving you with the Bible. Be careful to do everything in it. This is the word of God. Obey it. 
I just heard him, I said, I don't know what he means. But when I accepted Jesus, my first question was, which church do I go to? So, I took my address book, and I walked to all the local churches, and I took the addresses, and I came back home, and I looked in the index, Bishop. I couldn't find any of those churches in the Bible. None of the addresses. <laughs> so I didn't know where to go. I was confused and I didn't know any other person who was a Christian. That man had left me. I didn't know where he'd come from. I didn't know where he'd gone. But all I knew is I had the Bible. I loved Jesus. I didn't know which church to go to. So for a while I never went to any church. Then there was an Asian believer and he saw me eating. And of course in the Bible I read you could eat everything. So I ate everything. And he said, hey, you're supposed to be vegetarian. I said, no, I believe in Jesus. He says, all food is blessed. I prayed before I ate. It's all blessed. I'm eating it. He said, so you're a Christian. I said, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. He said, which church do you go to? So I gave him my dilemma. He said, look, join the Christian union. You pay your 30 pence and join it. So, you know, I come from a business family. I said, I'm paying. I'll go and join the union. I joined the Christian union. And in the Christian union, we met in a room like this. And they had a vicar from the local church, and he came and spoke. And we shared, we sang songs and everything. And I said, but which church do I go to? So finally they said, come with me to the local church. So I went to St. Paul's in Onslow Square in South Kensington. My first visit, I walked through the door, and I looked for the shoe rack. Because so far all my life I take out my shoes. I said, where do I put my shoes? They said, keep your shoes on. I said, look, my socks are clean. They said, keep your shoes on. We don't take our shoes out. You know, I chose specially clean socks that day. And I said, oh, goodness, I have to wear my... You know, I tell you, you've got to put yourself in my shoes, literally. They're walking in dirty mud and ground. I'm entering a holy place. I, inside my heart and mind, I struggled. I said, Lord, forgive me. I don't know what these people are doing, but I'll do what they say. I'll go in. Then I found a beautiful carpeted area. I said, I want to sit on the carpet. And I went to sit cross-legged. They said, no, 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 you sit on these wooden benches. I said, that's uncomfortable. They said, that's where we sit. I said, oh my, I'll sit. And then the organ blasted out. I said, who died? They said, nobody died. This is... I said, you guys are worshipping. I can't worship God. I'm finding it difficult. Now I want you to put yourselves in my shoes. You know... I mean, now I laugh, you know, I laugh like anything, I think about it. But brothers and sisters, it was hard for me. It was hard. But when the preacher started preaching, like Brother Matthew preached, like Bishop Reed preached, I was on the edge of my chair. You know, I still remember my first sermon. You are the salt of the earth. The bishop, the, the, the vicar, I'm thinking of the bishop, you know, same, because you mentioned salt of the earth. That was the verse. And the man spent 30 minutes talking about it. I couldn't believe somebody could talk for 30 minutes, but he had me on my seat. I said, I'm coming back here. And I came back every Sunday to church because I said, that is all. I will sit on the pews. I will keep my shoes on. Uh, I will bypass the music, but I will wait for that sermon. The word of God being expounded. That is powerful. And that helped me. But of course, I'll tell you one more issue. And this is important again in today's world. Because, you know, Muslims, Hindus, Sikhs, they, they, they are confused about these issues. And we need to be clear that at all times when we meet them, we tell them, we worship Jesus. We believe in Jesus. We are followers of Jesus Christ. We are disciples of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Because 
They used to ask me, have you become a Protestant or a Catholic? You know, I didn't know. I didn't understand. So I kept quiet. I just, you know, sometimes you put something out of your mind. I said, I will not answer it. I will bypass the question. And I'm sometimes good at changing subjects. I change subjects. I just used to get away. Then my son was born in Geneva, Switzerland. You see, another part of my story is we started life in a corner shop. Eventually, I was running a business with 7,000 employees in 15 countries, turning over $200 million. A big business is in Nigeria. Those who are from Nigeria may know Inlax. They may know uh, uh, the, the business in Nigeria, which we have in Kano and 30, 32 different places. We have tea estates in India and many businesses. My son was born. And the first question the lady asked me is, you know, all the father's neighbors, they said, Quelle religion, monsieur? I said, Je suivre Christ, very proudly. I follow Christ, you mark the Christian. She said, son, n'existe pas. She said, it doesn't exist. I said, what do you mean Christian doesn't exist? I'm a Christian. She said, ou protestant ou catholique. <laughs> oh, man, this was tough. This is the PC question, not political correctness, but Protestant or Catholic question. I went to my pastor. I said, I need counseling. Until now, no one suspected that I... I didn't, it didn't... You know, you go to church. I went to a lovely church, the Evangelical Baptist Church of Geneva, uh, started by brethren people, with Baptists, and these were great believers there. We had Americans there. We had an international community in Switzerland. He gave me half an hour emergency counseling because there are three days. I said, I need to see you before 72 hours. And you know, he opened his door to me. I said, what are we? He said, have you heard of King Henry VIII? I said, is he in the Bible? He said, no. Then I said, why are you telling me about King Henry VIII? <laughs> he said, I'm trying to explain to you what it's all about. So I said, all right, okay. Then I sat through this whole lesson and I said, okay. I understand something about the background. So I put an answer on a piece of paper. I put it in my pocket. And this was on the third day. I went to the hospital. Sunita was still there. They, those days they kept you for three, four days, you know. And so she was there in Geneva. And the lady came with a certificate. She came with an envelope and she gave it to me. I said, how have you completed it? So she opened it up. I, I opened it up quickly. I said, what have you put? She said, rest the calm, be calm, you know. I said, what? She said, look, I put a special box for you, Christian. And we've changed our computer program. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> So, but the reason I share with you that story is because that word Christian, but I do want to share with you these important things about the word Christian. So, it is important, this word Christian, rooted in Christ, Jesus Christ, we have to stand up for. And you know, as I now look back, I begin to see that you and I as Christians are something to offer society. I'm an evangelist at heart. You know, what drives me is sharing Jesus. I want to share Jesus with everybody. You know, in my own family, over 50 members have become followers of Jesus, Christians. Over 50. My mother is with the Lord now. My mother is with the Lord. But I tell you, she also struggled. I took a year to get to church. She took seven years. <laughs> but when she got to church, and I want to praise God for this lady from the West Indies who used to pick her up every Sunday and take her to church every Sunday in Southall.
My mother became a follower of Christ. And so many have become followers. Of course, the reason is God works in absolute miracles. These are miracles. These are 50 miracles. It's just fantastic. I shared with you earlier about my first visit to church. That taught me a lot. It taught me that I've got to learn how to share Jesus in the way that my mother will understand, in the way that my brothers and sisters and other Asians will understand. What did we do? We started a meeting in a flat. We knew that they would have difficulty going into a church, so we said, okay, we'll start a little group at my brother's flat in South Hall. We allowed everyone to take their shoes out. (laughs) We allowed everyone to sit on the floor. And guess what? We sang in Hindi. I've got, a, I've got a CD uh, of an album there, which we have now launched, called Aradhana Ho, We Worship You. And in that, we have got songs in Urdu and English. You can sing them in both languages at the same time, because the music's the same. The notes are the same. <laughs> the chords are the same. <laughs> the words may be different, but God understands. And it is the same sentiment and uh, uh, truth that is communicated. And so... It was called, it's called contextualization. It's so important because so often in our desire and thing to run, uh, 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 to, to share the good news, we can forget that people may not understand what they're talking about. I'll never forget, I was invited to the Philippines to share the gospel to the Asian community there. And uh, there was a group of American missionaries, Canadian missionaries, British missionaries trying, and they were struggling with that. And now in the Philippines, the reason I was invited is, the people came from the same community as me, the same village in South Asia as me. It's called the Sindh, S-I-N-D. It's in Pakistan now. Sindhis, you can count the number of Sindhi believers today, I mean, probably no more than a thousand. There are 14 million Sindhis on the planet. There are no more than a thousand followers of Jesus Christ. It's a very resistant community. I can give you the insights and reasons. <laughs> My community, the god, the goddess that is worshipped is the goddess of money. It's gripped the community and blinded the community to all truth. So it's very tough. There's a guy who's done this book, Operation World, Johnston, is it? A book called Operation World. When I met him, he couldn't believe that he was meeting a Sindhi Christian. He said, I've never met a Sindhi Christian before. We have a terrible reputation in India. You know, they say if you see a Sindhi or you see a poisonous snake, don't hesitate who to kill first. <laughs> terrible, terrible reputation. <laughs> but that, I'll give you the truth, brothers and sisters. That's how hard the community is. Yet, God can break in where no man can break in. It's the power of prayer. Believe you me, when I was in Switzerland, there was a man who met me. He'd served 30 years in India. You know what he did, the first thing with me? He said, I'm now meeting you as a believer. Okay, I want to draw a family tree. And he took the name of my mother, uncles, aunts, sisters, brother. I can tell you, I look at that tree and I see one by one, each one come to Christ. When those 50 have come to Christ, it is the power of prayer. So when I was in the Philippines, this old lady... Late 80s, you know, and in our community, we all worship the, the, the folk who are older than us as wiser, and we respectfully respond to them. I got a message. I want to meet this preacher man who's come to Manila. I want to talk to him. I have a complaint. Oh, <laughs> I went. Her two daughters, she had two daughters. Both of them had become born-again Christians, both of them believers, and she took me home. She said, they organized this tea. The missionary was with me and uh, the, the other lady missionaries who were interacting. This old lady said to me, 
She said, I'm very upset. In our language, Sindhi, I'm very upset with what is going on. I said, why? She said, look, my two girls, they have become Christians. I don't mind. But now they want me to become a Christian. I said, oh, okay. I said, fine. So she said, ever since I was six years old, my mom and dad, and my mom, it's usually the mothers who teach all these, uh, the, the, the spiritual uh, teachings in our families. The, she said, my mother taught me to get up at four in the morning to read the scriptures that you know the, the community has and to say my prayers. So she said, I have my bath, I say my prayers, I read my books. I can't give all that up. And my daughters wanted to give that up. I said, uh, a respectful term is dadi. I said, dadi means older sister. Can I just say to you that I think I agree with you. So the girls are getting nervous. Oh my goodness, what's happened here? I said, you keep getting up at four in the morning. Don't let nobody tell you don't get up at four in the morning. <laughs> you keep getting up. You, you have your bath at four in the morning. I realize you're attached to your books. Can I just make one plea with you? When you're up and when you're praying, would you also give a chance to this book? Your children have given it to you. It stays closed. It's in its, it's, in its packet. Break that cling film. <laughs> Open it and read it. She didn't reply. I don't know what would happen. That was on Thursday. Saturday, the two girls came running to me. There was a youth rally. She said, uncle, uncle, these girls said. And I said, what happened? They said, guess what? The other two books were closed. This other book was open and mummy is reading the Bible now. <laughs> there was a banquet on Sunday night. This lady was in pain. She had, uh, her hip was paining her. I, she, I saw her come into this banquet. It was an outreach banquet. She hobbled in and she took the front row seat. And when I made the altar call, she was the first lady to give her life to Jesus Christ. And that is the power of God. That is the power of God at work. You know, I tell you, brothers and sisters, there is so much that I could go on about. But I want to come back to the importance. I was able to do it because we were free to do it. You see, in the Philippines, there's still freedom to proclaim the gospel. Here in Britain, we still have the freedom, but not for long. And my freedom to share the gospel with my family is at stake. My freedom to preach, to speak, to sing, to produce music. Will I need license now for that? It is serious. This is no, you know, those statistics from Islam. I, yeah, what the bishop is saying is right. What the dean of ORU is saying is right. And it is important we are reminded of what those differences are, that we are clear about them. And you know, one thing I really loved about what has been done today, we have gone back to what is the Trinity? What, all these things are important, you know. When I wrote my, I've written several books. My first book was called Sari and Chips, which is about East and West. And it was about how that identity crisis can only be reconciled in one way, Jesus. There is no other way. That is the reconciliation of our identity. I'm a Christian first. I'm a follower of Jesus first. Everything else follows. So I wrote that book. Then, the second time, I wrote a book called Chapatis for Tea. This is about how to understand and get, get the gospel to those who are Hindus. And in that, I'll never forget, in my first chapter, I said to any Christian who's wanting to engage with other faiths, I said, the most important thing is this. Know your own faith first. Spend time in learning our faith. Let us spend time in mastering our faith. 
the example I use is when I left Imperial College, I got a job in the city of London with a bank. And in banking, you have to do all your different bits in banking, even being a cashier. And when you're trained to be a cashier, the following thing happens. You're put in a room, and you're then told to go through currency. Pennies, pounds, notes, one pound, five pound, ten pound, twenty pound. You, and they give you a sack full, and you just got to keep going through it. And you've got to be going through it so that you find what the forgery is. Because by knowing what the real thing is, you can then look at a forgery and you can smell it a mile. So first they put you in a room with the real thing. They say, this is the real currency. Don't argue about it. It is real. We've checked it. We would take it in any shop. And it's crushed and smelly and sweaty and clean. And, and all you do is you spend a whole afternoon just going through it. Till you're a master of your own currency. Then you recognize any forgery. Brothers and sisters, my point is this. We need to know more and more of our own faith. More and more of Jesus. Who is the Jesus we worship? Don't let any fraudster take us away. And that is the importance of theology and study of theology. And I'm not just saying something that I don't practice. I also went to Bible college because I realized that when I was going to go into the world where people will challenge me, what do you know? So it is important we learn. Not from a sense of pride, but we must know. You see, I didn't have Sunday school upbringing. All these are, my, my kids would start talking about people in the Bible that I had not heard about. I said, oh my goodness, I know about Jesus, but I do need to know what's in the book. More and more and more. And we must be permanent students with an L plate, a big L plate. Always being prepared to learn, always being prepared to be open. Because our God is an awesome God. Our God is a creative God. Our God is a wonderful God. Our God is a loving God. Our God is the God who is sovereign. And we need to know more and more daily. You know, every day you get up, you must get up in excitement. Because God is doing a new thing. Every day. Every day. And I tell you, the miracles that go on. I mean, uh, we, we're talking about Islam and, and, and reaching Asians for Christ. I've shared with you about contextualizing it. I've and, and there are simple things we can do. You know, one of the things I do is have a meeting with people where we say, okay, you can have Muslims, Hindus, Sikhs, all the different people. What happens when you die? Take that question. So I know that as a Hindu I was taught, and so any Hindu will reply, you are born again, and again, and again, and again. You're reincarnated, exactly. You know, and, and, there is, and you can have cycles and cycles and cycles of birth and death until you achieve nirvana. But there is cycles, and you're going to come back, and your karma, your bad debts or your bad deeds will decide where, where you come back as. And that's the whole, the, the, there's a whole thing there. You ask the Muslim, and absolutely as the dean said, no assurance of salvation. They have to wait till the day of Qiyamah. Qiyamah is the day of judgment. On the day of judgment, all will be, all will be a, a tally. And then only will they know which way the equation will fall, which way the balance will go. And then when you talk to other faiths, it's a combination of all that. It is only in Christ where it says, the moment you believe, you are saved. You are saved for eternal life. The moment you believe, there is no question of it. The assurance of salvation is guaranteed. It's a greater guarantee than any bank on earth can give. It's a greater guarantee than anybody on earth can give. It is there in the word of God. Now, no one can argue with that. They may try and argue. <laughs> The politicians may try and argue, 
all the same. Ha. <laughs> it is different. You know, I shared this about death. And it sounds, gosh, at an outreach after dinner speaker, I shared this about death at a church in Isha Green, Isha Green Baptist Church. And they had half non-Christians, half Christians. This was essentially a community from that local leafy suburb. The next morning, I got a phone call. And this lady called me. She said, Ram, you wouldn't believe what's happened. Because at that night, they, they, they wouldn't even, you know, it was all very sort of controlled. And you couldn't do altar calls or anything like that. This is an after-dinner speak, you know. Oh, right, okay, so I'll be very proper about this. So I shared this story, and I left. I got a call the next morning. Uh, there's an actress called Wendy Craig, and her, she's a believer. And her very good friend came, uh, who's a not, not a believer. She said, guess what? This man hasn't slept all night. He's a West End actor. He hasn't slept all night. I said, what happened? She said, up till that point, he believed it was all the same. If it is all the same, then why follow Jesus? Because Hindus have a way, Muslims have a way, Sikhs have a way, Jews have a way, everyone has a way. So I'm not sure. He said, hey, the difference is clear. I'm not going to go with uncertainty and waiting for the day of judgment. I want salvation now. 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 He got on his knees and accepted Jesus. It is important. These issues that we look at other faiths, become experts in our own faith, master our faith, learn to recognize forgeries, and let us not be ashamed. Let us not be ashamed of the gospel. And it is integrated. Because they, you know, the love them, tell them, show them, works in every arena. Love them, tell them, show them at school. Love them, tell them, show them at work. Love them, tell them, show them in the political world. Because there is very little else we can do in that sense. And we pray. Love them, tell them, show them. And make sure we are praying as we do this. So to show you the impact of what God can do. You see, 15 years ago, I was running this big business. And I went to Bombay on a business trip. I went to buy prawns. <laughs> prawns from my factories in Scotland. I had 600 people working in Scotland for me. And in these factories, I discovered every three months, they would close them down because there was no prawns. So I said, I'm, I've got a global mind. You know, when you come from a global community, you know, I said, hey, but there are prawns in India and in Africa and in Asia, and I can bring those prawns in the three months. You know, business. So I went to India. On the last day of a 10-day trip, I was taken to the slums of Bombay. And I always like to see community projects when I go abroad or to any place when I'm buying from. And what I saw in the slums just broke me. I was taken through the slums. There was a group of young girls. They must have just hit puberty. They were behind bars. This is in Dharavi, the largest slum in Asia. I was then shown a little kid of five. I had a five-year-old. My, my boy was then five years old. He's 20, so this is 15 years ago. And I, I saw where he stayed, where he slept. And it was just so, so awful. I had never seen anything like it. You know, we can get so busy. In doing what we do, sometimes we forget the real world of people in pain out there. You know, I was an elder at a church. Yes, I was doing my tithing and my, all the stuff. I completely lost track of that part of the world. And I said, what can I do, Lord? And at that point, I had this real call, which said, look, you may stay as a non-exec in all of the business world, but I want all of you for me all of you to serve me. And I then left, went to Bible college and did many other things. Christmas Cracker was one project which Steve Chalk fronted, which I backed from the back room as he fronted it and ran it. We raised over five million pounds for the poor of the world. But more important than the five million pounds, put that aside because 
That's, that's, that's in one sense, in God's kingdom, the cattle on a thousand hills are his. 50,000 young people were challenged in their faith to learn more about their responsibility to the less well-off from a Christian perspective. And from there went on this book, Sari and Chips, Chapatis for Tea, Karma and Chips. I love chips. <laughs> you know, I had this example where I said, you know, in India you have two types of weddings. When the girl and the boy get married, usually the girl's side has to pay a dowry. And it's, it's wrong, but it's, they, they just ignore any law that's been passed. You've got to pay the dowry. But there are two kinds of weddings. One, where you pay the dowry, and if you pay a centime less, a cent less, a penny less, the girl's life is misery. It is hell. There are unexplained kitchen fire deaths in India, which arise because of that. But there is another kind of wedding. And in that wedding, the, 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 the boy's family says, we don't want any dowry. We just want the girl. And this example I shared when in Manila, interestingly, where I said to them, they couldn't understand how God could be a God of love. They said, why does Jesus love me? Why should he love me? They couldn't understand it. My sister came to me. She said, I don't understand your God. Why does he love me? I said, when you have a wedding and a girl is asked to come with nothing else, no, no dowry, just the girl, which parents here will only send the girl with nothing else? I said, you will give, won't you? You don't have to give, but you do give because you love your girl. I said, ah, I said, that's the love of our God. He doesn't have to. He doesn't have to, but he does because he loves us. So just as you love your girls and send gifts with them, even though it's not asked, imagine how much more our God who gives and gives and gives till it's pressed and overflowing. That's the God we worship. That's the God we love because he first loved us. Bishop, I'll pause there. Thank you. Yeah, there's um, and and you know, if, if we don't if we don't rise up and do something, there's a lot of pastors. And let me tell you, the easiest way to sin is to pray and do nothing. Jesus said, go out, he, you know, he preached, teach, and heal. It's amazing he forgot about prayer. Maybe he knew something you don't know. Huh. Just a suggestion. Um, pray always, in everything give thanks. I'm, I'm for prayer, but I'm for prayer accompanied by work. Not for prayer accompanied by nothing. The trouble is, the gospel of Jesus Christ, no one is converted through prayer. Not one soul is converted through prayer. How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall he preach unless he's sent? And, and the secret is the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel. And it's got to be proclaimed. And God is waiting for you to open your mouth and proclaim it. Pray always in everything. With thanksgiving. But preach, teach, and heal. Don't preach and teach without healing. If you don't have miracles, then get converted. Hello? Get converted. You know, when Christ is in you, miracles happen. No Jesus, no miracles. No miracles, 
no Jesus, whichever way you like it. You know, Christianity without miracles is no Christianity at all. And we need to let everyone know we are miracle people. I don't believe in miracles, I depend upon them. That is Christianity. That is what we are, miracle believers, miracle workers. I'm talking about miracles, you know, deaf ears, blind eyes, cripples walking. If you don't see that in your church, get converted. Our God is a good God, amen? Share with people. And, and what uh, Dr. Matthew said is so important. Hey, uh, I believe we need education. This was my doctoral thesis. Methodology without Christ is futile. You have to have the reality of the living God. Um, and the church growth wanted a methodology that would succeed. Why didn't they believe in the Jesus who builds his church? Instead, they got people doing all sorts of crazy things like shouting in tongues at a wall and pretending they're binding demons. Get, get the book and, and read it because it'll give you a theological, historical background. Uh, and you need to know so you can answer people. It's the simplicity of the story of redemption that brings people to life. It's not complicated. It's simple. That's all we're talking about. Wherever I go where there are Muslims, I know this, Muhammad doesn't open blind eyes. Muhammad doesn't unstop deaf ears. Muhammad doesn't cause the cripple to rise up. Muhammad's dead. Jesus is alive. He lives in you, he lives in me. We have authority. I went over to Ghana with uh, Dr. Teddy. We were, I went to the Methodist Cathedral. And the first night in the cathedral with the bishops in their finery, presiding bishop of the Methodist Church, I said, the thing I want to tell you is we're here for a mission. The first thing God's going to do is open blind eyes. You're going to see blind eyes open. You're going to see cripples walking. You're going to see the thing that you might believe. First woman I prayed for, blind. Four years old, she got measles, blind, couldn't see. So I went and just prayed for her, passed on to the next person, started praying for them. Uh, and Dr. Teddy came and told me, he said, her eye was closed and it's open. I said, fine, you know, and carried on. He said, no, you don't understand. Her eyes were closed, they're open. He meant, you know, she was blind, now she sees. And then a little boy who was crippled, never walked, four years old, got up and began to walk and then to run. And then a woman who was carried in, she was 78, she'd had a stroke, paralyzed. Uh, I tell you, that Methodist church became a Pentecostal church in one minute. <laughs> we have authority in Jesus Christ. Huh? Now they do revival services in that cathedral. Uh, the, the greatest thing of all was a drunk woman. She was so stoned out of her mind, she didn't know. Now, she had a withered arm, all withered up. 
and she heard the singing. We, by this time, we'd moved to a field because the crowd's more outside the cathedral than in it. And on the Saturday night, she heard the music and the singing. She wondered what it was. And she was so drunk out of her mind in this bar, cultish bar, uh, nearby, that she wandered over to the field to find out what the noise was, the singing. And when she got there, by that time, I was preaching. And so she started towards the front. And as she was coming towards the front, she heard that with man it was impossible, but with God all things are possible. And Jesus had come to heal the sick. And she pushed her way through the crowd. And by the time she got to the front, that withered arm just grew out. And it was perfectly normal like her other arm. And she got up on the platform. And she wanted to give a testimony. <laughs> she got up there so drunk. And the first thing she did, she said, Look, you all know me, my withered arm. Look. And she waved it. Went straight over and took two bishops with her. <laughs> and, <laughs> and we picked her off the top of the bishops, who were a bit embarrassed. <laughs> she stood up, waved her arm again, and went over the drum kit. <laughs> We had to sit her on a chair. God didn't worry she was drunk. You know, I think that if she had got to the front and I'd realized she was stoned out of her mind, I'd have told her to come back when she was sober and I'd pray for her. God knew I was that bad, so he healed her anyway. Huh? But you know the story doesn't end there. The next morning she turned up to the cathedral stone-cold sober. And she said, I'll never touch drink again. Hmm? With her whole family, she came to the cathedral, said, I've come to give my heart to Christ. I'm going to be a Christian from now on. And look, I'm healed. You see, God changed the heart too. And our God is a gracious God. He loves the Muslim. We're not against them, we're for them. That's why we share Jesus with them. Please, remember GGF as well. Become part of a global gospel fellowship. Be part of it. Hey, if we stand together, we can change everything. If we each do our own little thing in our own little courtyard, we'll be picked off one by one. But when we become a voice, no one can stand before the Lord Jesus Christ will be more than conquerors. I love this nation. But you look at what's happening right across the nations and hey, we've got to be a voice. We cannot sit back and wait for someone else. We have to be that voice. God needs you to be his voice. And preach, teach, heal. We can change things. I don't care how bad you think it's going to go. I tell you, I believe we can stand in the gap and we can make a difference. Each one of us can be the one who makes the difference. Do get yourself educated with a good gospel. Jesus Christ has overcome all the power of the enemy. Amen. Amen. We are more than conquerors through Christ who strengthens us. We're alive in God. Amen? Amen? Let's live it. Father, I just thank you that you are our provider. Lord, I pray that every word that's been spoken will be a life 
to those who have heard it. Lord, let us be your witnesses in this time, in this nation. Lord, let us be true to that which you want us to be, I pray. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.